time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in 5th Avenue Faceoff. Uh, another edition here during what we're calling Rangers Week. It is Rangers Week, and Rangers Week has been decidedly Penguin-like in the meeting between these two teams because it's been wildly inconsistent. Seth Rohrbob, Trib Live, joins me to talk about the significant inconsistencies of these Pittsburgh Penguins. Seth, thanks for doing it. How are you? Uh, Very well. Yourself, Chris? Good, good. Except I can't... This has been the refrain now for approximately three and a half months. I can't figure this team out. Even in the midst of their loss to the Rangers at Madison Square Garden on Thursday night, I find myself being pleased by some developments at times. Yay, Ricard Raquel can make any line look great that he skates on. Oh, Tristan Jari looks like he may be himself again, himself being an above-average regular season goaltender who knows what we'll get in the playoffs. But then at the same time, they don't put piece together another 60-minute effort. They come out looking sloppy early. Uh, the guys who have been sloppy, your Jeff Carters and Brian Dumoulins of the world, continue to be sloppy. So in this 4-2 loss to the Rangers at Madison Square Garden on Thursday night, where are Seth Rohrbaugh's, uh silver linings, so to speak? Well, for me, I, I thought the most significant development was just Tristan Jari looked like a starting caliber goaltender. Uh, that's, that's a huge step forward for him. And uh, maybe that's, you know, damning with faint praise, but, you know, just given what, the fact that he had been pulled, what, twice in the past, in the previous eight days or something like that, um, that's just a good step forward for him to just show that he's still capable of being this team's number one goaltender uh, for, at the very least, the remainder of this season. You know, the, the offseason is a whole other matter, but um, just in, you know, a micro focus. Uh, granular level, uh, Tristan Jari offering a pretty stout performance and, and frankly, keeping that team, uh, keeping the Penguins in position to potentially win that game on Thursday, I thought was a huge development or a few huge step forward for him. Now the real challenge is, can he do it in, game, in the second game, the third game, so on and so forth? I mean, we, you know, we've seen this where, okay, he looks good for one game, then he looks like garbage for the next game. So um, he needs to string a few games like this together, uh, you know, for, I guess, you know, real faith to kind of be instilled in him uh, as being the team's top goaltender going into a presumed postseason run. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much great, you know, to be optimistic about or happy about with this game from Thursday. But uh, just the fact that Tristan Jari looked like a, a capable number one starting goaltender, I thought was a huge development. So between the two games over the weekend, look, the Flyers are what the Flyers are, which is in rebuilding mode now, uh, moving on to a new GM and everything. Uh, Between the Flyers game, a really ugly loss to Montreal, and these first two games of the three against the Rangers, um, do you look at this as, as a team that's generally trending in the right direction, the wrong direction? What's your general impression of the four games between this past Sunday, or excuse me, this past Saturday against the Flyers, and leading up through Thursday night in New York? It's definitely a mixed bag. I mean, you look at the game on Sunday, that's a great win against the Rangers. Then they follow it up with just a clunker against a, a terrible team like Montreal. And, and frankly, I thought, you know, the Thursday game, I mean, yeah, it's a loss. It's not good. But, I mean, that's a pretty good team that uh, uh, on the road for the Penguins to lose to. And, you know, for the most part, they were in that game. For You know, I mean, it was a one-goal game until, you know, the empty netter late in, uh, late in regulation there. So, 
it's a mixed bag. It's hard to say, yeah, they're going one one direction or another. For me, it's always seems like this team this season, for the most part, it's like three steps forward, two back, four right. forward, five back. Um, if you want to look at their last five or six, seven games, whatever, I, you know, I, I guess it's positive momentum. It's albeit maybe just incrementally. Um, but um, they've had worse stretches uh, of play. I certainly uh, within the past two or three months than they've had the past two or three weeks. But uh, um, certainly I, there, there's a lot to be desired, but uh, I, I think it's fair to say it's maybe going forward again, albeit all incrementally. It felt like they may have dodged a bullet uh, to some extent when they were able to get Ruda and Petrie into the lineup after the injuries they suffered against Montreal, but then Petrie goes out again. Um, nonetheless, they have blue some blue line depth. Um, is is it just what what is it from Mike Sullivan in your opinion that keeps him from simply sitting Brian Dumoulin at a certain point? You know, I, I think of the Zabanajad goal last uh, night. And I think of his blind between the legs pass into into the high slot to no one that goes back the other way that leads to that goal for Zabanajad. I think of just a lack of coverage in front of his own net. As much as we've talked about Jeff Carter uh, up front and a, and, and a veteran who's probably worthy of a seat in the press box, Dumoulin strikes me as a guy who's merely getting by on his ability to to pair up with Chris Letang at times uh, for one of the few passing reasons he's still in this lineup. Does Sullivan really believe um, that he he's a useful piece, especially once the playoffs get here, or is this just blind belief in a veteran? Well, it's twofold. Uh, first and foremost, they just don't have anyone else right now to play in the lineup. Um, they, I don't, I don't, I haven't looked at their cap figure today, but I, you know, I just don't know that they necessarily have the cap space to recall. I don't know, Mark Friedman or, or whoever uh, from Wilkesboro right now. And I know a lot of people look at Ty Smith. He's still out with uh, with facial fractures right now from a, from a game from several weeks ago. So Ty Smith's just not an option right now. So they just don't have any other left-handed defenseman to put in the lineup, particularly with uh, newcomer Dmitry Kulikov sideline until at least I think it's April 6th with um, the LTIR designation. So there's just no other option. Second, yeah, I mean, he does have faith in Brian Dumoulin, and, you know, that's maybe one of his shortcomings, if you want to label it that, uh, that he tends to just, you know, place unwavering faith into veterans and um, is apprehensive towards sitting them or even demoting them. Um, and, you know, Brian Dumoulin's, you know, a guy that, you know, he's one with. He's a, that's a guy that, you know, came up, you know, through Wilkes-Barre and stuff like that, uh, been a good soldier for the organization, if you'll pardon the military reference. Um, th this is a guy that's very respected in the locker room too. He's probably one of the more vocal guys in that locker room. Uh, you know, when a young player has a mistake or something like that, Brian Dumlin's, you know, one of the leaders, I guess, that'll pull the guy aside and say, Hey, forget about it. Let's move on. Go, go on to the next, next shift, next period, what have you. So, uh, you know, there would be obvious, you know, ramifications if you did change you know, your lineup, you know, maybe for the positive, if you did, you know, you know, play Brian Dumoulin a little less or even scratch him. But I think there'd be even, you know, larger ramifications from an intangible standpoint if you did scratch him. Just how that would, would that affect the chemistry of the room? But you know, more than anything, I think the biggest underlying or overlying factor is just the fact that they don't have anyone right now as we're talking here at uh, 1.43 p.m. on a Friday. So, so up front then, um, do we is it the same thing? Are we just looking at it saying, okay, can if we get to the playoffs, maybe we'll have a little more flexibility because we don't have to worry about the cap and maybe we can call a, a few black aces up to take some of the, the minutes away from a struggling Jeff Carter or whoever else it may be that they'd like to pull from the lineup. 
Um, is it as simple as that, just getting to the playoffs where you don't have to worry about the cap anymore? Is there, uh, again, more blind faith in a veteran like Jeff Carter, even though he's he's simply not producing in some situations? I mean, the minus four the other night against Montreal is just atrocious. Um, is, is that what it is? Is it just blind faith to a veteran from Sullivan again? Probably more so in his situation compared to Dumlin's. Uh, they maybe at the very least have one option there with Danton Heinen where you could slide, you know, Ryan Paling or, you know, Drew O'Connor to center and you know, move Heinen into the wing on the fourth line there. So there, there is at least right now one tangible option with the lineup in that regard. Uh, and there, but, but that said, there aren't many options with Wilkes-Barre Scranton. I mean, I think Jonathan Gruden would be your only option there. And, you know, all due respect to him, you know, I thought he afforded himself well, but um, I'm just not sure what he would offer you right now. And, uh, at this stage of his career. And obviously Sam Poulin just returning to the team after taking a, a hiatus for his mental health. He's not in position to be recalled anytime soon right now either. So uh, they just don't have many options. We'll start scranting the recall for a center position. Now, if you want to maybe, you know, get them being flexible with guys, like we said earlier, O'Connor or, or, or Ryan Paling, you, know, you maybe call up a guy like Philip, Philip Hollander, pardon me, mm-hmm. um, and things there. But um uh, I think for the most part, though, the biggest underlying factor there is just that they have a lot of faith in J- Jeff Carter, you know, for better or worse. And uh, on top of that, too, Jeff Carter is their only right-handed draw right now. So um, there's a reason they put him out there uh, for a lot of key face-offs. Uh, you know, often, oftentimes it's on his strong side because, you know, again, only right-handed draw on the team at the moment. So, um, again, maybe that faith's misplaced. Uh, you know, certainly the results are, you know, whether you want to look at, say, base offensive figures or maybe some of the advanced metrics would su- suggest that, you know, playing him less or putting him in a, you know, in the press box for a night would do him some good and do the team some good. But um, there are some tangible reasons, but I, I think it's fair to say there are maybe some uh, intangible reasons that probably pay a bigger factor into why Mike Sullivan uh, remains resolute and keeping Jeff Carter in his lineup. Before I let you run, Seth, I'll ask you this. What's the best alignment on the right wing? Uh, from line one through three for this team. Because as I look at it, um, I, I look, it, you can put Gensel, Crosby, and Russ together and they'll find some magic sometimes. Other times, not so much. Um, it ends up being Gensel and Crosby and Rust is just sort of chasing them around or chasing the puck around in some cases. For my money, it's Raquel up there with those two. And I'd even go so far as to say Nylander has impressed me on the right wing with Malkin and Zucker. And that that would give you the ability to sort of even things out by putting Russ down there on the third line with Granlund and O'Connor um, in a role where uh, he can do a little bit of everything. And he, and he is, I, I think, whether people give him credit for it or not, kind of a jack of all trades. He does have a 200 foot game. He's got penalty killing in his blood as well. Um, what's the best alignment down the right wing for this team? Well, I mean, if you put Raquel and Russ on the top two lines, however you want to put them, then it basically becomes a two-line team. And mm-hmm. that's just not sustainable if you want to have any kind of postseason success. Um, I, I kind of dug what they did starting with the Philadelphia game on Saturday where they put Raquel on that third line, and, and that line produced two goals. And albeit, you know, that's against an inferior opponent like Philadelphia, which is in full-on rebuild mode. But um, that created some balance, uh, or at least, you know, the the perception of balance uh, throughout at least your top three lines there. And, um, you know, Granlin, I, mean, I, I think Granlin is a very talented player, and I, I don't know if we've fully seen what he can do here. He's just scratching the surface here uh, right now with his time with the Penguins. So um, I'd like to see Granlin get, you know, some opportunity to play with some fairly talented player. And he, you know, again, it, him and you know, Raquel produced a little bit in that Philadelphia game, albeit against a, a bad team. But 
um, for this team to have any kind of success in the postseason, and maybe that's a, a futile suggestion uh, just given what's going on here, uh, for them to have any kind of success in the postseason, they need that balance. And that's nothing exclusive to them. I, I think any team that ultimately does have success in the postseason is, um, you know, is constructed in a way where you know, you're getting contributions from at least your top three lines, if not your all four lines. Um, you know, we saw that with the two two most recent Stanley Cup championships here. Um, we've seen that with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche, where you know I know what Steven Stamkos is going to do. I know what Nathan McKinnon is going to do. But what's you know Ross Colton going to do for you? What's Logan O'Connor going to do for you? So you need you know a Danton Heinen contribution. We saw that a little bit from Danton Heinen last year, where he was playing kind of like a, a bottom six role. He scored three goals in that first round right. series against the Rangers and helped that make that a competitive series. So you need guys from those depths of your roster to, to, to produce. And uh, frankly, I think if you just stack up Raquel and Russ, whatever order you want on the top two lines, you really just are giving up on your third and fourth lines being uh, any, any kind of contributors. Well, we'll see how they handle Saturday night in New York. Uh, the pens now 10, a full 10 points back of the Rangers without any games in hand. So that uh, what may have started as a bit of a pipe dream of catching the New York Rangers in the standings becomes even less of one if they should lose in regulation again, uh, tied with the Islanders, although two games in hand right now in the wild card race. Seth, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend. We'll catch up again soon. Anytime, Chris. You start to wonder, without any games in hand against the Panthers of the world, for example, uh, or the Buffalo Sabres, for example, uh, are we back to a point where we're worried about the Pens making the playoffs? I, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. Just three points up on Florida, six points up on Buffalo. Eh, but at the very least, uh, if they're, even if they're not going to catch the Rangers, you'd like to see them win the season series against the Rangers, which would involve... Uh, at the very least, a win Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. I'd also like to see it because I have a bet with a friend of mine, Sean Marash of CBS Sports Radio. He is a giant Rangers fan. I am a big Penguins fan. We have a bet. I'll explain that bet, and we'll get Marash on the show next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.